thank my dear pastor for those gracious words. About three years ago, God <clears throat> put in our hearts a burden for the suburb of Samford. I've lived in Samford now for <clears throat> nearly 22 years. And uh, the thought had come to me before, but due to various reasons, I kept putting it off and putting it off. But about three years ago, when the Lord spoke to me, I think something happened and I started to just think about it a bit more and uh, wanted to just give it some air time before the Lord. And you all know what a journey it's been in the church here over the last three years, the burdens we bore, the accusations that were made. And uh, it would appear then that God was even calling us more to this ministry at that time. But the questions of how, when, where, how do we even start? Um, I considered my age and I thought, Lord, why would you use me? I mean, there are so many brilliant young men in this church who do a fa fabulous job. I'm in the twilight of my career and why would you use me? And God just said, you're the one I'm calling. Um, I haven't called anyone else. And so I labored through it all through last year. And to the end of last year, I kind of shared with my wife and a few others the burden. And uh, the Lord seemed to impress upon them that it was something that had to be done. And so we started that journey and we uh, started to pray and I thank God that uh, there, there were a few others who have joined us in praying for us and uh, Sister Lena, Sister Kipu and Sister Leah, Brother David Sparksman, Brother Peter George. They've all been dear, dear friends in prayer over this matter and they will very much be part of our core team that would go out. But I want to just say very specially how grateful I am. I remember when I mentioned it to Pastor first time, his very first words to me were, I'm not surprised. And I thought he'll give me a big lecture about what do you think you're doing? But uh, he said, I'm not surprised. And, uh, and he told me he had shared it with Pastor Shemish as well. And Pastor Shemish said exactly the same thing, I'm not surprised. And uh, well, it came as a big surprise to me that God would pick me to do this. But I'm tremendously humbled. I don't feel adequate. I'm a bit like Moses and uh, saying, Lord, you know, stuttering lips and whatever else. Uh, but God said, I'll be with you. You go. And so uh, in, in obedience to God and uh, with your Support in prayer. I need every person here to support us in prayer over this. There'll be many challenges. Uh, as you know, when you plant a church, the devil doesn't like it. He'll attack us as a family. He'll attack us as a group. We need the prayers of all of God's people. And uh, we believe that whatever little steps we take, God's going to bless. And uh, there are many needs still we'd like you to pray for particularly uh, a song leader or someone who could uh, lead us in worship. 
please be praying for all of that, that God will provide whoever that he would bring. But again, church, thank you so much for your love. I mean, I'm emotional this morning because a lot, I've walked this journey with a lot of you for many years. And uh, it doesn't mean that we are completely abandoning you, but I think the work will be very heavy in, in, in the new plant. And I just pray that God will give us the strength and your prayers will be wonderfully accepted. The deacons have been a great sense of encouragement as well. They all sort of came around and uh, uh, really encouraged us to take this step forward. And also I might mention God at the same time, six months ago, put on our heart the burden for another place in Brisbane or outside of Brisbane. Um, and uh, we ask you to pray for that as well, a place in Gatton, where we uh, had to attend a funeral one time and um, about 100 Papua New Guineans turned up for that funeral. I said, wow, where did you come from? Was there a charter flight this morning or something? <laughs> and uh, they said to me, oh, we are all working. We are fruit pickers and abattoir workers and whatever else. And I immediately, the Lord said, who's going to tell them about me? And uh, I again looked over my shoulder, but there was nobody else. So God willing, we'll be starting a work there as well. So what it might look like is uh, do the Sunday morning at Samford and then Sunday afternoon do a service in Gatton. So it's going to be a pretty full day for us on Sundays. And, uh, you know, as the Lord puts it on your heart, please pray. There'll be many needs. Uh, my greatest challenge is counseling. I know a lot of people will come forward for, to, for help. You know, brethren, this world is broken. Every family you go to is a broken family. Uh, there are people just uh, needing the love of God, needing someone to just put their arms around and tell them about the hope they have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I just pray that God will use us as instruments to bring that healing and hope to many. So with that, I, I just thank you again. Thank our pastor. Uh, he's been a great help already. Uh, with, uh, we are printing tracks, invitations, uh, doing door knocking the next two weeks. Uh, we are setting up a mini website as well. It won't be as flash as the Good Shepherd website, but Brother Dave's doing an awesome job with that, and uh, I, I just thank God for him. Um, so let's uh, open our Bibles and we'll read this passage. I don't want to be too long this morning, but. Uh, um, let's pray God will give me the strength to get through this morning, all right? Um, the question I would like to pose to you is that if God appeared to you, if you had an encounter, a personal encounter with God, how would you react to that? Yes, you got saved, you heard a message, and you got, you responded to the message, but I'm talking about God appearing like in the reading of this story and, uh, and uh, talking specifically to you, how would you respond? How would you treat the words of God himself? As Brother Glenn already alluded to, the character of this story, J Jacob, 
his name means supplanter or deceiver. And he had deceived his brother Esau, who was the eldest of his birthright. And to the Jew, the birthright was a big thing. It means that a large portion of the inheritance of, of the father would flow to the first, which is on the birthright. And uh, not only did he steal the birthright, he stole the blessing. So normally when the father was about to pass away, he would pronounce a blessing. And that blessing was reserved mainly for the eldest in the family. And he disguised himself and uh, changed his voice to sound like his brother. And he went and he got that blessing that was designed for the eldest in the family. And so, uh, unsurprisingly, his brother was quite mad. So he hired the local mafia. No, he didn't hire the local mafia. He was quite a strong man himself. He said, I'm going to come and get you. Before the sun is down, I'm going to chop your head off. And that's the kind of language he said to Jacob. And so Jacob was obviously very fearful. And uh, his mom, mom came up with the idea, Rebecca, hey, why don't you go to my brother's place? His name is Laban. You just go and stay with him a little while. Esau will cool down. And once he cools down, you can come back. And so he's on his journey to his uncle Laban. And then this uh, amazing incident happens where he has an encounter with God. And I want you to notice that uh, in this dream, he sees a ladder set up between heaven and earth. And the angels of God ascending and descending on this ladder. And verse 13 says this, And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, thy father, the God of Isaac, uh, the, the land wherein thou liest to thee, will I give it and to thy seed. So amazingly, God doesn't seem to give him a pep talk about what he has done, about his deceptive behavior. But God says to him, the promise I made to Abraham, the promise I gave to Isaac, I'm going to now pass that on to you because you're the next in line. And by the way, God had already chosen Jacob as the man through whom the blessing would come. The problem was Jacob said, I'll help God out and I'll fix it the way it'll all work out. God would have still picked Jacob had he left it to the Lord. Is anything impossible with God? No. Do you have a problem today you think is unsolvable? Give it to the Lord. The Lord says nothing is impossible with me. And so Jacob does this, um, uh, he sees this amazing sight and, uh, and, and look at this promise that God gives him in verse 15. He says, and behold I am with thee and will be within all places where thou goest. Isn't that interesting? Wherever you go. So you may not go on ministry straight away. You may go somewhere else. But I'm going to be with you. I'm going to bless you. And uh, will bring thee again into this land. For I will not leave thee 
until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. How many of you like to get that promise from God? I'm not going to leave you until I accomplish that which I have spoken to you about. What was Jacob's response to this incredible offer that God makes? He's not pinging me for my behavior. He's reestablished the promise he gave Father Abraham. He said, you will be like the dust. So to Abraham, he said, you'll be like the stars. Anyone try in counting how many grains of dust there is in a bucket that you pick up from your backyard? When you've done it, let me know how much you counted. Because it's impossible, right? It's going to be explosive. That's what God said. It, the people are going to grow. Everyone's going to, and you're going to be a blessing to all nations. So not only the Jewish nation, but to all nations. Because through you, the gospel of Christ will go to everybody. I want you to just look at one verse in John 1.51. You just turn there. God had just, Jesus had just speaking Nathaniel as one of his 12 disciples. And, uh, and Jesus said to him in verse 50, Jesus answered and said unto him, Because I said unto thee, I saw thee under the fig tree, believest thou? In other words, Jesus said, Are you believing me for that? Thou shalt see greater things than these. And look at the next verse. And he said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Hereinafter you shall see what? Heaven open. And the angels of God ascending and descending upon whom? Upon the Son of Man. In other words, this is God's ministry, Nathaniel. God sent me with a purpose. And you will see the angels of God ascending and descending upon me. It staggers me that Jacob gets the same sort of promise and presence and provision that God afforded the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said, I'm, the angels are at your beck and call. They'll be ascending and descending to help you on your journey, to make sure that you do the will of God, that you do what God has purposed for you. You have the entire angelic host with me looking on to help you in this journey that you're going to undertake. Now, I don't know about you, but had I received such an incredible offer from God himself, I would have dropped everything and said, Lord, show me. Where do I go first? You remember the Samaritan woman when she got saved? What did she, should, what did she do when she heard about the living water? She ran back to her village, a village where her reputation was shot because she was a prostitute. And she went and she told everyone, come and meet a man who told me everything that I ever did. 
and who has promised me living water, that if I drink of this living water, I am never, ever going to thirst again. And the Bible records that that whole village got saved because she ran back and told them about Jesus. So I would have thought that Jacob, being properly fathered by Isaac, being told about Father Abraham, and God himself now appearing and saying to him, I'm going to be with you. Going, your seed is going to be like the dust of the earth. He would have dropped everything and said, I'm going back. I'm going back to dad. I'm going to set things up. I'm going to apologize to my brother. No. He makes a deal with God. Look what he does. He gets up in the morning and he does what most people do. He, he put, put the rocks up, put some oil, he anointed it. Verse 20, and Jacob vowed a vow saying, if God will be with me, I want you to sort of notice the words, if. So he puts a big if in front of his next journey if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on so that when I come again to my father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God. In other words, he's saying, God, I, I really don't quite get it. I want you to prove it. So when I go out from here, I want you to take care of me. I want you to feed me. I want you to put a roof above my head. I want you to keep me healthy. And if all those ticks are made, then when I come back, verse 22, surely I'll give you a tenth of what I have earned. Lord, you, you spend the 100% and then I'll give you 10. He did a deal with God. His deceiving, conniving spirit never left him. His encounter with God did not capture him with God's greatness, his sovereignty, his goodness. He decided to use God for his purposes. Now I want to tell you this, that We may be unfaithful to God in our vows to God, but God will remain faithful. You can't stop God being faithful to you. The Bible actually says in the New Testament, though we are faithless, he remains faithful. So when God opens his mouth and makes a promise, it is going to happen and he will carry it out. When Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I am doing what? I am coming back. How many of you are expecting Jesus to come back? Do you want him to come back in the middle of this sermon to put you out of your misery? A lot of our living lives as if 
He's going to come in 100 years' time. We're not really bothered about it. You know, there's a special crown given to those who love the Lord's appearing. Do you get down every morning, go out outside your door and say, Lord, I wish today will be the day. I wish today you'll come back. The world is so broke that if Jesus doesn't come back, it'll get broker still, if that is good English. Mrs. Blake, that's wrong English, I know, but, but you get the gist. So he makes a deal with God. He said, you, you take care of me. Then when I come back, I'll give you a tenth. I'm glad I'm not God, because if I was that, I would have told him to, you know what? So he missed the great opportunity God put before him. He put the material benefits that he would get in front of the spiritual. God opened a spiritual door for him. He said, you'll see heaven open. Oh my goodness, for us to see heaven open and God manifesting himself and saying, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to increase you. And this is the promise we have for Samford. We believe God's going to be in this. We'll see heaven open. We'll see God go with us. And God accomplish what he wants to accomplish in that suburb of Samford and in that town of Gatton. We are, there are hundreds of people who haven't heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. How about us? We, is it, are we taking the spiritual things that God's saying to us seriously? I know this afternoon, uh, and I'm going to be watching it as well, so I'm not saying this in a bad way, but the rugby league's gone to Las Vegas. So I believe at around 1.30 this afternoon, there's going to be a game. Brother Pete, Broncos are playing, so you have to watch, right? So sometimes, I'm not saying that's wrong, but I'll be watching too, right? So it doesn't make it right just because I'm watching it, but, but just for the record. Put the spiritual things first in your life. What God shows you. Now, you may not have a ladder from heaven coming down, and you may not see the angel of God going up and down, but you do have this thing in my hand called the Bible. And it's got enough here for you to digest and for the word of God to just come pouring into your heart. And the spirit of God takes the word of God and just pummels it into your soul. And you say, God, thank you for your word. It's storing me. It's strengthening me. It's going to help me. Lord, show me my next step. Tell me what I am to do. Is there a bad habit I've got? I've got to get rid of. Lord, help me. I want to serve you to the best of my ability. You know, when we don't deal with the issues in our life, you can't serve God acceptably. Some people think they can have their foot in here and foot in there. You're either all in for God or you're not. You know, so God's saying to us, you know, I'm revealing this to you. Put it right. You've been humming and hawing about it, but God's saying, put it right and you see what I can do with your life. You see the places I'm going to take you. And so J J Jacob leaves this 
marvelous experience without having a resolve in his heart to serve God. What a tragedy. What a tragedy after God pursues him and gives him this incredible vision. The same vision he would give the Lord Jesus Christ many years from that point. And he goes to a place called Haran or Haran, however you want to say it. And the name Haran means place of trouble. It's a mountainous place which is filled with, it's arid, no water, it's a place of trouble. So isn't it interesting, he's going from a place of blessing to a place of trouble. And he meets up with a fellow deceiver and a conniver, a guy by the name of Laban. And I won't tell you the whole story, you probably know it, but Laban tricked Jacob. So, you know, whatever you sow, you also, what? Reap. One deceiver will deceive another deceiver, right? So, he goes there and, uh, and the whole story of Jacob and Laban is one outdoing the other, one outwitting the other. And... Um, so he works for Laban for 20 years. He was promised the, first, the daughter he loved and he gets given the other daughter. Then he said, you've got to work another seven years. And for 20 years and the last six years with Laban, he worked to increase his cattle industry. And because God promised Jacob that he will be with him wherever he goes and he will bless him, guess what happened to Laban? Laban got blessed. Not because of his ability, but because God kept his promise to Jacob. And so Laban became a rich cattle farmer. Plenty of cattle. We don't have any evidence in the story of Jacob telling Laban about God. About how God appeared to Abraham to leave this country. And by the way, Haran is the same place that Abraham stepped out of to go to the promised land. And isn't it ironic that Jacob would go back to Haran? It's like the children of Israel in, in the wilderness. When things got a bit tough, they said, we want to go back where? Send us back to Egypt. The garlics, the leeks were beautiful. Send us back there. And he goes to Haran to the hard place. He gets tricked. But he being a deceiver, a conniver, got his share, more than his share, of cattle. And so God instructs him and he says, appears to him and he says, I want you to go back. It's enough. 20 years of wasted life. I want you to go back. Go back to your father Isaac. And so I would like you to just flip, flip a few pages to Genesis 32, and this is the second encounter that Jacob has. Now Jacob, remember, is fearful of Esau. So he ran away to avoid any contact with Esau. So he's coming back, and um, in verse 24, so what, what he does, what Jacob does, he's not coming back with his wives. He's got a whole lot of cattle. He's, he's, he's sort of run away from Laban. 
Laban, by the way, chases him, catches up and says, what are you trying to do? And they make a kind of a peace saying, look, okay, they put a rock there and say, look, this side is my territory, this side is yours, don't come here. And they sort of sort it out that way. And then uh, Jacob's next challenge is, how do I deal with Esau? So what he does, he splits up his group into two or three uh, groups of people with lots of gifts, with cattle, with whatever else he's acquired in Haran. And he sends them as an advanced reconnaissance party. And he sends them to Esau. And uh, so that he could calm him down so that when he thought when he arrives, Esau will be okay. He's got all these gifts. He's going to be okay. But God wasn't finished with Jacob yet. So verse 24 of chapter 32 says, and Jacob was left alone. So all his people had gone on their missions to try and diffuse the crisis that was happening. And when he saw that he, uh, and Jacob was left alone, and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go, for the day breaketh. That's God talking to Jacob. And he said, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. And he said unto him, what is your name? What a strange question. As if God didn't know who Jacob was. He said, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, thy name shall be no more called Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince thou hast power with God and with men. And Jacob asked him and said, tell me, I pray thee, thy name. And he said, wherefore is it that thou dost ask after my name? And he blessed him there. And, the, and Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. The first place where Jacob had his vision of the gladder with the angels ascending and descending was called Bethel. Bethel means the house of God. Now this place where he wrestles with God is called Peniel. Peniel means the face of God. Jacob wasn't impressed with being in the house of God. And so God had to engage him in a wrestle. He was left alone and he wrestles until the breaking of day. All this time, Jacob has been doing things in his own strength. He was about 95 years old at this time, and that would be prime of life for people in that age. You know, Abraham lived up to 175 years. So he would be like a, in our speak, would be like a 35-year-old man, if you take 70 as a sort of, norm for our life, life uh, span. And so he was a strong man. And he's, he's wrestling, he's still in his own strength. I've got to overcome this guy. What's he doing? And then God had to do something. 
When you wrestle, how many of you here have wrestled with somebody? Anyone done wrestling? Okay. Do you use your feet a lot to wrestle? Yeah. So what happens if your thigh goes out of joint? Can you wrestle after that? No, you can't. And God puts his hand and touches his hip. And his hip goes out of joint. So this macho, strong Jacob suddenly becomes a weakling. He's like helpless. Doesn't know what to do. Doesn't even, can't even take the next step. And so in desperation, he's clinging to God now. Instead of wrestling God, what is he doing now? He's clinging to God. Lord, I need the support. I'm going to fall over. I'm going to just hold on to you. And God says to him, let me go. You've learned your lesson, let me go. I'm not going to let you go till you bless me. At last Jacob saw the picture that he had to be made weak. That his desire for his self-improvement had to be taken away. And he had to now trust God for the next step he was going to take. And he said, Lord, if you don't bless me, I, I can't finish the rest of my life. Would you bless me? And God did that because Jacob finally acknowledged who he was. He said, my name is Jacob. I'm the deceiver. I'm not going to cover up anymore. I'm the guy who has faked people, done things to people. I'm Jacob. God, can you still use me? Can you use a wild sinner like me? And in God's grace, God says, I'm going to give you a new name. And that name is Israel, which means a prince with God. What an amazing transformation. A rascally guy who's played out people, who's told a heap of lies. And God says, because you faced reality today, because you acknowledged who you really were, I can do something with your life now. I'm going to call you Israel. And you are going to be used mightily of God. Sometimes God has to touch us in our most stubborn, hardest part to make us weak so that we can surrender to God and say, God, what would you have me to do? Or, God, will you be my strength from this point onwards? Jacob carried that limp for the rest of his life. Never got healed. There were no doctors who could heal that. It was a permanent shrinking 
of the hip bone that would never ever fit into his socket. But he needed God to lean on. And that was the blessing that God left him with. The Apostle Paul would later say in Corinthians chapter 12, I thank God for my weakness. I thank God for this thorn of flesh that you have given me. And then he said this, then when I am weak, then I am what? Then I am strong. Because the power of Christ will rest on me. I wonder how many here this morning are saying, you're holding on in your strength. You're fighting God. You're making unreasonable deals with God and saying, God, if you do this, then I'll may consider doing something. Instead of saying, God, you know who I am. Lord, I, I, I confess it. I say, Lord, I'm useless. I, I can't be a fake anymore. And allow the power of God to work in your lives. God's greatest work is often done when he gets you alone. When you're with people, God can't perhaps get you. But when you're alone, God will wrestle with you. He'll wrestle with you till you're broken. Until you're weakened in those things that you're fighting God with. And then he'll give you a new name. When we put self before God's purposes, then life becomes a wrestle. God doesn't want your life to become a wrestle. He wants your life to become a flowing stream through which the Spirit of God just comes in, it flows out, that many be enriched and many be blessed. It's not this wrestling and fighting and contending. That's not what God called you to. He wants you to be a witness for him. God's grace is sufficient for you. God is a character changer. God is a name changer. You know, you, you know the story of es, um, Ruth and Naomi. Naomi means pleasant, right? That was the name God gave her. And then she leaves, she goes to her Haran, and then she comes back, and what does she tell God to do? Call me not Naomi, call me what? Mara, and what does Mara mean? Bitterness, and that's what we do. The good name that God gives us, we say, call me not that now, call me Mara, I'm bitter. I want to be bitter towards you. Everyone who comes before me, I want to be bitter. So don't meet me after service, I'll be bitten. No, just kidding. We change the order. God says, I will take your bitterness and make it pleasant. God says, I will take your corrupt nature and I will make it pure. What name do you define yourself this morning as? As God asks you, are you an angry person? 
Say to the Lord, I'm an angry person. God will say, I'll, t- I'll change your name. I'll call you kind. You might be hatred. God says, I'll call you love. You might be sorrow. God says, I'll make it joy. He gives us garments of praise or the spirit of heaviness. You might be anxiety. Every morning you get up, you're anxious about things and you're saying, how is this going to work out? And God says, I'll give you a name change. It'll be peace. It'll be contentment. Your name today might be impatience. And God says, come to me and I will change that. I'll make you long-suffering. Do you see all these are the fruits of the Spirit that work through us when we surrender our lives to God? Jacob surrendered in that cave to God. God broke it. And he had this limp for the rest of his life as he walked through and you know, he had to use a stick, but every time he leaned on that stick, he thought of his encounter with God. and said, but God, you're with me. And I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And he, and he put his life completely in God's hands. Are you willing to put your life completely in God's hands? You see, when we put things right, his next stage was he still hadn't met Esau. He'd send his troops in front to try and pacify him. And as he goes down this plain, he sees Esau coming. God had removed the fear from his heart of Esau. You know, God is a fear remover. Do you believe that? The fear of the future. The fear of what happens next. God removes the fear. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love. And of a sound mind. And God wants to fill your heart with that purpose in life. That you can go out and be a testimony, a witness for him. And so as Jacob meets Esau. It's one of the most beautiful reunions that you'll read in the Bible. As beautiful as the prodigal son when he comes back home. And Esau even says to him, oh oh, my brother, uh, what happened to you? And he says how God had been dealing with him. So God was already working in Esau's heart. He didn't need emissaries to go out in front. God's already working in people's lives. So that when you intersect them, there is grace that comes out of that relationship. And Esau ends up sending some of his men to guide Jacob through the tricky terrain till he got to his next place. Jacob still carried some idols from Haran in his baggage. So when you reject God, what happens? You build up idols in your place that you've gone out. And the Bible says he went and dug a big ditch and buried them in that ditch. He got rid of his idolatry. He got rid of his fear. And he started to trust God and see the power of God start to work in him. So as we close in prayer, I would just like you to ponder that. 
message that God gave Jacob. Give your weakness to God and he can transform you. So let's just pray and I'm going to ask a simple question. There are two questions that you can ask. God, what do you, will you have me to do? Is one question that you can ask. And the second one is you can say, God, will you be my strength? Will you be my strength? Take away this hardness that I have. And I ask, is there anyone here as every eye closed and head bowed?